Armored Bear Productions. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Out of Character, the Not Safe for Wizards Q&A talk show. to Out of Character. This week we are going to be going over Dangers of the Night with Mark, who plays Chase. Welcome, Mark. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, good to talk to you, one of my oldest friends. Uh, and uh, it was kind of a fun non-combat episode, you know? Yeah, well, they can't all be sword whackers, you know? They gotta get from fight to fight somehow, and I think that we do a pretty good job of keeping those interesting as well. I agree. I agree. And, you know, a lot of times people don't uh, don't understand that you, you got to go on the road. You have to do the investigation inside the towns and stuff like that. Um, the first thing I want to talk about uh, on this episode was the, the trip on the road. You guys run into uh, the undead reverend. Right. And um, what were your thoughts on, on the whole entire deal with him? You know, uh, I feel like you didn't dive too much into what his story was, like who the elf was that he was trying to get after, why, you know, he was after him exactly. Yeah, I mean, they were ambushed. But um, was there ever any thought of, like, going back and trying to get more details of that plot line? So there's two answers to that. And one of them is an in-character answer. One of them is an out-of-character answer. Uh, the in-character answer is not unless the elf was one of the war makers. Chase is very into getting this guy where we need to, to be um, and then getting on our way and tracking down the war makers and stopping that whole plot and everything. It's just that's where his head is at. It ties in, it turns out, with needing to avenge his father's death, and that's been enough to make him kind of single-minded about it the other out of character reason is that honestly it kind of had this feel of like it could be a plot hook that takes us in this whole other direction or it could be like a flavor piece that adds this extra undead element to the world that we haven't really been seeing a whole lot of and it just kind of it was like when you see something beautiful in nature and you have the option of like, you can go up and mess with it or you can appreciate it from a distance and then go on your way. So it kind of felt to me like this is a cool piece of story. Maybe at some point in the future, we'll encounter it again. Who knows? Maybe we'll randomly meet the elf and find out that it was the elf that this revenant was stuck on the material plane because of. And then we'll have the option to do something. Or maybe we'll end up going back and investigating the whole thing and working it out. But I I don't like to muddy the waters with trying to do too many things. Because when you're trying to do 30 things at once, you end up with a position where none of them can really pan out properly or develop into appropriate stories. Because if every time the DM 
says, okay, you are investigating the Revenant. Well, while you're traveling to the Elflands to find this elf that he's talking about, you encounter, and what turns into a small encounter, you know, maybe it's goblin brigands or something, and the party takes a liking to the brigands, and all of a sudden, now you're rallying off with the brigands, and the DM just never gets a chance to develop and flesh out a full story, because the party keeps changing directions. And we do that enough with the main storyline. You know, that that's very understandable. And uh, I actually had like a completely different opinion of, of this situation. Um, I, I brought this all up because I felt like uh, between the Reverend and the whole entire idea of this battleground site, you know, a day's away from where you guys were or half a day away from where you were, that he was trying to like, definitely taunt you towards the side quest and you know that maybe he had put work into uh getting you onto the side quest and and you know doing your work and that you guys just derailed him by not going down it and 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 that was my whole entire thought of of all this and and you bring up a very good argument that you know uh sometimes it's just a matter of sticking on the main quests and you know being in search of what you're in search of uh there was an old cartoon a way back. I can't remember what it's called now. It, was, um, it wasn't really a cartoon. It was an adult cartoon. Uh, but on it, one of the characters was out trying to rescue his uh, girlfriend, the princess. Um, it was like a bunch of uh, cartoon characters living in a reality house. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, man, I do. But I also can't remember the name. It was like super early 2000s. It was on Comedy Central. And it was a prime time. I remember because they had that like really, really inappropriate like Betty Boop parody. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I know that. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say the reason why I brought it up is because it it feels like what you're saying is you're right. You have this thought in your mind. You have to you have to rescue your girlfriend, the princess, or you have to kill the the, uh, war makers. Um, and that's it. And you won't, uh, you won't divert over to go investigate zombies, ghouls, whatever, to help this revenant, uh, kill the elf or maybe stop it from killing the elf. If the elf is a good person, you don't, you don't even know one way or the other. You, you just have your mind set on, uh, on your task. So I will say now that you bring up the idea that maybe this was a hook that joe wanted us to take um one of the things that i love about joe as a dm is he will lay out these different paths and these different hooks and these different things that he's fully prepared for the party to do or not do so he does you know um in a previous campaign we had a game session that we later on affectionately termed the night of a thousand plot hooks. <laughs> and it was literally one session where we at various points over, I think it was probably like a four hour session. We were laid out with so many different possible paths we could take and different things that we could do that we were like glutted for choice and you know, in the end, we ended up doing like I think the second thing that came up because there were just so many choices. And one of my big regrets to this day is that we never had the opportunity to go back and try to revisit other plot hooks. There's because... only so much time in a game. 
So. Exactly. Exactly. There's only so much time in a game, or even in a campaign for that matter. And the you know the plot line that we did take had you know elements of some of those other storylines in them. So we did get to see how some things came out, and we got to influence some things directly. But I mean, we played that campaign for five years of weekly four to five hour games. We did a lot. And some of the things we did definitely derailed Joe. Um, I could always kind of catch that in the conversation after a session where we would realize that what we had done was the one thing that he hadn't expected us to do. And he had pages of notes of these different directions that we might take or these different enemies we might encounter based on our decisions. And there were a few times where I'm sure right, he never said anything, but I'm sure we set him back to not square one, because I don't think Joe's ever on square one. He plans ahead a lot, but maybe square three or square four. Like we we as a party, we cause problems because we do things in non-traditional, non-intuitive ways. Like burning down a tavern full of your enemies. I mean, it solved the problem. It did. It did. I remember. (laughs) But um, no, it's so going back to the example from this session with the Revenant, I am 100% certain that Joe had at least a couple sessions planned if we did go and investigate right away and also had sessions planned for if we didn't go and investigate. And given the choice between the two it's sort of like you know one of those uh open world sandbox rpgs where you can do any number of these side quests but the game's not over until you finish the story quest that makes sense and and it seems like you know undead are still coming to you in the town either way um right the episode left off with you in the town expecting undead you know, coming in. And, right, because uh, we arrived there and all of a sudden found out that they had been getting attacked for two nights. Right, and and who knows if it's... Uh, if it's You probably know, because you're several sessions ahead of me, but, uh, you know, I've only listened up to this point. So um, who knows you know, what's going to happen next, whether it links back into the, the Reverend or not, or whether you'll see him down the road or the elf. Uh, one more thing I do want to bring up with the Reverend, though, is that um, after talking with Greg last week, I started thinking about it. And I think I've thought about this over and over again since I played in the fourth edition campaign uh, when you know we had the nickname of Murder Hobos. Um, I want to start an award for each session, and that's the Murder Hobo of the Week Award. And I'm going to give it to you for uh, within two seconds of talking with the Reverend, you wanted to shoot him. <laughs> So, He's a revenant. He's undead. It doesn't matter. He wasn't being aggressive. He wasn't being mean. <laughs> you know? I think just two weeks ago we were talking about how you're the level-headed one who likes to talk things through, and this week you're like, okay, uh, you know, we got enough information. Let's just pop a couple bullets in him. To be fair, I was very easily talked out of it. <laughs> yes, yes, you were. But I I understand, and I certainly have my moments of murder hoboness, or I'm not sure what the adjective of that would be. But um, you know, it's we're human, and we're all undergoing a lot of stress these days. You know, just 
from every conceivable angle. And one of the ways that people sometimes get through stress is imaginary violence. Um, not just violence, but, you know, the entire idea of playing D&D is escapism. And I regret nothing. Yeah, I've, I've, I've thought about uh, a few times playing a completely pacifist character in D&D, you know, someone who, who just won't fight. So every battle, oh, yeah. you know, I could just walk away or all I would do is buff, you know, um, right. having played Bard so many times, it, it, it almost feels like a fitting uh, uh, tribute. But uh, there are times when you just need to be able to attack and it's unfortunate. Well, so I've had the same thought, that kind of theory crafting of... If I was going to make a character who was devoted to being purely pacifist, refusing to engage in combat, what would I do and how would I make it useful or viable for the party so that I wasn't just a detriment when we did inevitably get into combat? And yeah, you mentioned Bard, and I think Bards are definitely a great option for that because you can you know, play the negotiator and the party face and get really into the role playing of discussing to the bandit leader exactly why he doesn't want to attack the party and talking them out of it or negotiating, you know, all sorts of different things. And you also have a little bit of magic, but what I always kind of came back to was the thought that if I was going to do a complete and utter pacifist with absolutely no intent to ever engage in combat, I would actually probably go for a cleric. healing cleric or a different uh, divinate? Uh, um, well, th- so that's the thing about you know going for a cleric in that sense. There's a few different clerics that you could go for. You could do the standard heal cleric where all of, yeah, you just make sure that all of your spells are things that can heal your party or debuff or uh, buff your party. You know, maybe throw in some rituals for like creating shelter food water removing curses stuff like that um but you could also go for like um i think there's the forge cleric uh subclass available at level three where you basically become a cleric of a god of the forge and while you may be a pacifist not using weapons you create weapons for others to use okay and you get into the realm of being almost like maybe not a perfect example or a perfect comparison, but almost like a cue for your party where if you guys are getting ready to go into some sort of battle and you know that some sort of specialty thing is going to be needed, well, you have the Forge Cleric and guess what? He can probably make it. I was also thinking uh, maybe like an alchemist could do something similar too with uh, potions and stuff like that. But, uh, oh yeah, alchemist or artificer, I think, would also be really yeah. good runner-ups. You get that kind of absent-minded tinker who's just always creating new things without really thinking about what it will be capable of. You know, like creating this new, really cool smoke bomb, and then deciding, oh, you know what, this isn't good. It's too poisonous. And the rogue in the group's like, oh, I'll dispose of that for you. Never see it again until, until they throw it in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you get to that whole really great role-playing opportunity of, well, how does your character react when something that they created to help was turned into a weapon? That's when you have a split personality uh, psychopath alchemist who's pacifist one second and, uh, you know, 
murderous party killer at uh, the next second, you know? In all honesty, I I really strongly dislike playing characters with that level of duality. Uh, I've done it in the past, and I've also had people do it in games that I was in. And it's just so difficult to not completely derail the game when you yeah. have a character who, by its very definition, is incapable of acting predictably. You know, And I've talked about we tend to throw the game off the rails a little bit just by acting unintuitively or unexpectedly. But when you have a character who can take a perfectly normal scenario and turn it into a violent encounter, that brings a whole new level of... Tr- uh, I don't want to say trouble, but a whole new level of chaos to the game. And the game at its core is supposed to be cooperative storytelling. It's the DM bringing together a group of people to tell a story where everybody has a hand in writing it. You know, it's interesting that you should mention that because I'm in another game um, where we just hit a problem with one of the players. And basically it's because everybody else, including the DM, is kind of over one player guarding the game you know um and uh it's a hard situation to deal with you know uh you try to be honest with the person be like look you know you're just constantly stepping on other people's toes and and stuff like that and and it's hard um and i think i think it's very important that people remember when they're playing D and and interacting that it is supposed to be fun for everybody it is supposed to be a good experience for everybody so right I, it is a co-op game at its core exactly yeah, and I think we've all had experiences like that. I'm sorry you're going through it now, but you always hear that kind of the trope or the archetype of, you know, the person who plays a rogue and then immediately tries to start stealing from the other party members, or the person who plays that brooding, distant, aloof character, and no matter what anybody else does to try to kind of get them invested into the party, they always go, well, no, that's not what my character would do. He doesn't trust any of you. He doesn't know any of you. And it it can be neat to see that kind of character in movies, but when you're trying to roleplay alongside that person, it gets really old really fast. There's there's a way to play that character though. There's there's a way to play the brooding, you know, untrusting character that reluctantly goes along with everything because you have to, you know, um, always being stuck in a situation that you know puts you out of position. And I think that's the way to play it. So that way, you can interact with a group uh, still and be part of the role playing storytelling while still, you know playing that personality but you're right you you can't you can't play that character and go against everything that the party wants to do right Um, so i think that i think that what you're referring to is basically you can play that type of character but you have to be willing to role play character development and growth because you can't play that character who doesn't trust anyone in the party the entire campaign. The whole idea is that you are that character and you are distrustful of everybody, but as you travel with these people and you see them risk their lives to help you and you risk your life a couple times to help them, you develop a bond. And you know, at the end of that, yeah, you're still distrusting and you're still aloof and you're still distant, but 
you have grown in your interpersonal relationship with these people. And maybe you wouldn't name your firstborn after any of them, but you still have a certain level of trust and camaraderie. And yeah, the prince who tries to hire you to go on a quest, you still don't trust. And you might try to talk the party out of whatever he's trying to do. But when the party leader says, no, this is what we should do, and I say we do it, right. you're going to be more likely to relent and say, okay, I get it. And you know what? You're not usually wrong, so we'll go We'll go with what you want to do. Right. And, and you can't go on and be like, okay, well, if you guys are doing that, I'm going to go this way because this is what I want to do. Is, is right. more what I meant. You know, you, you can't be like, I'm always going to go off and do my lone thing to the point where you get split up from the party for long periods of time. Or, you know, um, you definitely can't be like, well, you know, I'm always going to be stealing from my party mates. I'm always going to be trying to, you know, cheat them and turn against them and stuff like that. A, a exactly. little bit of a little bit of thievery, a little bit of, you know, playing against them is fine. But uh, it's kind of like walking a tightrope and figuring out that balance of where you need to be to make the campaign run well. It's still a story that you're trying to tell. It's not just you against them. It, it's exactly. It's not a competitive game. It's not a, it, it, not is a, a it is a story you're trying to tell, and it is also... So I think that's uh, one thing that we've gotten really lucky with our group, because... We've been playing together as a party for a little over eight years at this point, I think. And we've had people come and go, like you were in the fourth edition game for a little while. We've had a few other people. We actually started with people that, you know, kind of dropped off over time as life and, you know, all the chaos can that could come up kind of force them to, you know, withdraw from the game and go on and do other things which is totally understandable. But one thing that we've never had a big problem with, no matter who it was that was in the game, is that type of player who tries to make everything about them and, you know, derails the party members to, you know, try to further their own ends or, like you were mentioning, runs off in a different direction than the entire rest of the party just because they're not doing what that person wants to do. And we've been really incredibly lucky. We have a level of uh, similar mindedness and camaraderie in our real lives that has made playing together and knowing that we're all trying to do the same thing really easy to accomplish. No, which is really good. Okay. And I, I, I think um, not that we haven't murdered that subject or anything like that too much, but uh <laughs> I want to get back to, you know, the story from the week a little bit. Um, getting into the town, Glau, you know, you guys have been here before. Uh, um, and everybody kind of runs off. As we said, everybody ran off and did their own thing, but within a short distance, uh, interacted with everybody. And I want to get back again to uh, Joe kind of leading into, like, a certain point. And I, I don't know if Joe is trying to lead into a certain point or whether he just wanted to repeat the same story over and over again, but it felt like he was trying to lead into a certain point to me. And maybe I'm just reading into too much. Could be the conspiracy theorist in me, but yeah, he told the same story about the kid who, you know, went off and tried to fight the zombies a little bit and got injured over and over and over and over again, like to every group, you know, he told the same story. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at least inside that, uh, inside, you know, this uh, episode, it didn't go anywhere. Um, did you feel that there was anything more there or was it just, uh, you know, something had to be said for each one and 
there yeah, I honestly, I didn't get the impression that there was something else to go there. And if it turns out that I am wrong, I'll be real disappointed in myself because that's the kind of thing that I'm typically not terrible at picking up on. Uh, what it kind of seemed to me and kind of the impression I was taking from it is that that was, you know, Glau itself is not a huge city. It's a pretty small town. And they've been getting attacked by undead for, you know, a couple nights. And the first night was super minor. It was really the second night was really the only um, significant contact they had had. And it just, the impression that I was getting from it was more that this is a smaller town and what that kid did was the news from that battle. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like when you are living in a small neighborhood and the kid down the street breaks his arm really badly trying to do a skateboard trick off of somebody's car. Everybody's going to know that story and everybody's going to tell that story. So if you, you know, if you coming from the outside talk to four or five people, you may hear the same story a few times just because that was the biggest thing to have happened that day. Little Timmy fell down the well. Exactly. It's it's one of those things of like I I feel it was more one of those stories travel fast in a small town than it was trying to lead into some sort of, you know, storyline major thing where, you know, little Timmy fell down the well and accidentally turned into a lich and now we have to try to defeat him. And again, I'll say, if I turn out to be wrong on this, I will be disappointed in myself. I think it was you who asked, you know, uh, zombies in D&D versus zombies in movies, you know, yes. does, does it spread and stuff like that the same way, which I was like, oh, no, you should know better than that. But um, uh, I, I think you're right. I, I Thinking about it now, um, I do think you are right. I, I just, you know, as I said, the conspiracy theorist in me is always going, wait, there's something more there. Why is the DM telling us this? What is he trying to <laughs> I, get over? Every I understand detail. completely. Yeah. And to, again, like with Joe, that's one of the really cool things about his DMing style. We could have turned that into something. If we as a party had latched onto it and just immediately dropped what we were doing and insisted on going to meet the kid and investigate and this and that and the other thing, there could have been a story there. I just don't think that that was the intent up front. Spent a night of uh, skill checks trailing him and uh, watching over him, doing stealth checks and uh, trying to snoop in on his conversations and seeing if he's meeting up with a lich or something like that. Or at the very least, find out, you know, if he is being targeted specifically for some weird reason if you know there's like there's a lot of really cool directions that we could have taken that had we as a party kind of latched onto it and i think that's what a good plot hook is it is something that presents itself and gives you the opportunity to say this interests me i want to pursue it and that's what you know the encounter with the revenant on the road has in common with this one kid in Glau is that they had the potential if we chose to pursue it to turn into more story, more gameplay, you know, 
uh, just more development depending. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure, except Joe's off to the side scribbling in, in pages as you're picking your numbers. That, that, that's a very good point. Although it does feel like, you know, he, he's pushing you guys towards the undead fight. Uh, or at least more undead fights, you know. Um, there, there's been a lot of undead activity and uh, a lot of kind of going on with undead and, and where it's going to go, I think, is... is I, I'm still hung up on it, I guess is my point. Uh, I, I understand completely. Can I share my theory on it? Yeah, please. So I think that what we are going to eventually learn is that the war makers in their attempts to foment chaos have started making pacts with dark beings and i do think the undead are tied into the major storyline i don't think that the party has a good reason to suspect that yet but i definitely as a player like if i was sitting here and metagaming my knowledge i would a hundred percent say bet on a necromancer sometime soon who is tied to the war makers coming, coming down the road and, and and i i guess that's part of my problem is i'm i'm not playing in it and, and when i play in something i'm usually pretty good at keeping my my metagame outside of the uh outside of the picture and of course i'm i get to listen to it two or three times before i talk to you guys um, right and you get to see doing kind of live so uh uh it's very different right right as they say screw it we'll do it live um and that that is something that like it sounds super elitist and corny but it really is kind of one of those well you're not in the trenches you're not reacting in real time and this is something that i've been guilty of when watching or listening to other actual play um podcasts or shows where i'm like the the party will do something or they'll have an interaction and i'll be sitting there on my couch going well no no clearly you need to do this why are you guys not doing this he is absolutely spoon feeding you and then i'll end up going well it doesn't matter this is their story uh, you know that's so, a very good point um but i i absolutely think that we are going to end up with undead uh for at least a while i think that the war makers are behind it and i think it just kind of comes down to what method they are using whether it's a necromancer meaning you know wizardry or if it's some sort of godly or demonic force that's backing them or supporting them okay i i, I think that all makes a lot of sense and i think uh you're you're kind of right you're maybe not kind of right you're you're very right to play it the way you guys are playing it uh and and i i'm I'm taking way too much of an outside point of view on it. So, well, uh, okay, allow me allow me to play uh, devil's advocate to that opinion itself. Always. I don't think there's a right way to play it. <laughs> I, I think. I think uh, oh, go ahead. I, I think that there are interesting paths to take along any one of those. I do think that probably the shortest interesting path would have been the kid in Glau, but we definitely could have gotten sidetracked with the revenant. Um, I think that the reason we didn't really go too hard in that decision-making process is simply the fact that we are on a um, babysitting mission. So we have to get Skrullnass to the Orc City, whose name I unfortunately cannot remember right now. But that's, you know, if we go and sidetrack 
a half day's journey in a different direction, plus however long that takes, what happens if we get there and we find traces of that theoretical necromancer? And now all of a sudden we're like, well, we've already put ourselves half a day to a day out, plus backtracking. We still need to get Skullmass to Glau, uh, not to Glau, to the Orc City. There's so many different branches whenever we leave the path we're on that the odds of getting back to the existing path go down with every decision. And and that's that's 100% true, but but I kind of uh, feel it's kind of like Lord of the Rings, you know, where you kind of have this this one main journey that you want to go through, but um, or maybe even the Hobbit, uh, but you have all these other side things that you end up going through to get there, and you'll eventually get back to the main journey. Uh, or the main path there, you know, you're always guiding yourself back onto the main path, uh, even though you go through all these other uh, side things along the way. Um, I did want to say, uh, when I meant, when I said uh, the right way to play, I meant, you know, just not playing with all the meta as much as you can, uh, because... Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that, that I can agree with. Yeah. Uh, whatever decisions you make, those are your decisions. As long as you're playing true to your character and true to what you want to do. I think that's great. Uh, so good for you. <laughs> uh, I think good for all of us and hopefully good for the audience as well. Yeah. I think that um, I, I've always been a big fan of this line from Firefly. And I'm sure everybody knows, but for anybody who doesn't know, Firefly was this extremely short lived science fiction western made by Joss Whedon back in like 2003. And there's a line in the, I want to say, first episode that a character named Badger makes to the stars, to the main characters. He says, you run when you should fight and you fight when you should deal. And I think that that's been something that our party has been prone to for a long time, where that's kind of that acting in the you know most unintuitive or least expected way is that we have a tendency to make things interesting purely by acting in a different way than would be expected of us. And I think we keep people on their toes that way. I think that makes sense. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's definitely a, a different way of going about things. I, I, I always like that quote. Um, Firefly was definitely short-lived, and uh, I feel even the movie didn't do enough to wrap things up. Uh, Serenity, the movie, of course. Um, yeah, definitely. So, um, one more thing I wanted to ask you about uh, with, with all these decision paths and everything, because um, you you have this uh, diplomat that you're escorting, Skarnath. Skarnath, yeah. Skarnath, Skarnath. You know, <laughs> you had the hardest time pronouncing his name for a long time. I can't pronounce his name at all. Uh, I I've always been bad with NPC names uh, to the point where I actually started just making up names for them that were like parodies of their real names. And I uh, I had to train myself to stop because it wasn't fair to the work that Joe put into it. Um, and now I try my best to remember. And if I can't remember, I just say, you know, or if I can't pronounce it, heaven forbid, I just say, you know, the orc ambassador or something like that so that people know that i know who i'm talking about i'm just so bad with the names so incredibly bad but anyways his name was scarl nass before before we get back to scarl nass uh, i want to tell you a story because um you're going to find this one funny uh because me and you met back in like sixth or seventh grade or something like that um yeah 
through Casey. And uh, I, I remember that you were one of the many people that I had a problem with on names uh, to the point where this happened to me several times where I would meet somebody and my mom would be like, I would be like, oh, mom, yeah, I met somebody new. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, what was his name? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and you are one of those people. So, uh, I mean, I have a very, I have a very like average middle of the road name. I am not at all surprised. And also, I was super quiet back then. Like, yeah, we met in sixth or seventh grade. I probably didn't speak to you until like ninth or tenth grade. No, no, it was just me, you, and Casey hanging out one day. I remember like when we met, it was it was like something small, and we kind of got to know each other that first time. Uh, but it was it was weird that you know I, I never knew anybody's name after the first time I met them. Uh, even now, I, I meet people at like gang groups and stuff like that. I don't know their name for the first three or four times i'm just horrible with names uh for interviews i have to write down names on a piece of paper and be like okay and uh you (laughs) fair that that is that is fair i think a lot of people have that issue to varying degrees but yeah it's something we gotta kind of live with and do our best with uh okay so anyways uh back to scarlet mass um, uh, you have him along for this whole entire journey, the entire way, uh, to the point where he even had a long, detailed discussion with Lotus for a little bit, and there's been a little bit of interaction here or there. But overall, I feel like you guys have really missed an opportunity uh, with, with him to dive deep into some more information along the way. Uh, and even getting back to... The point of whether or not to check out the Reverend or the uh, Battleground site and ask him, you know, what his opinion on it and whether or not he would want to check it out, whether or not his kingdom would see it worthwhile. Uh, you guys haven't really used this NPC resource at all. What do you? And and we know he's not uh, at all useful in a battle. So, what, <laughs> what do you guys think about him for that? For that regards, my honest answer is I haven't. I have I haven't thought about him in that. Um, I think that, and I definitely see the point that you're making. I think that I, as a player, I have a bad habit of quarterbacking. Um, if you understand a reference, I have a bad habit of saying, "Well, guys, this is the thing that we should be doing," and I've been right just enough times that the party will generally say, "Okay." So I, I've been trying to make a conscious effort not to quarterback as much, not to just kind of say, well, this is what we should do. Um, full disclosure, confession mode. The last campaign we played, I was horrible about it. I was the you know top end. Whenever we were in an encounter with an NPC, I was the lead point on it almost every time most of the decisions on like where we went or what we did people would bring up their thoughts and then i would say well you know this is what i think we should do and this is why i think we should do it and i'm sure it wasn't every single time but i just remember us doing what i thought we should do way more than not so when we started this campaign and i mentioned this uh, in an earlier episode of out of character I decided that I really wanted to be more of a background character. 
I didn't want to be quarterbacking. I didn't want big swaths of the story to be centered around me and only me. And that's one of the things I really like about this campaign is that even the parts that do center around Chase, like the uh, revelation that it was a war maker plot that caused the death of his father. It wasn't just his father. It was also Jade's parents. And it ties into this bigger plot that we're now being drawn into with the King and everything else that's going on. And it's become about chase, but not revolving around chase. So that has been like this big, great thing, but I just still do suffer a little bit of that quarterbacking mentality. And it legitimately just never even occurred to me to talk to Skrullnass and get his input about the battleground and the revenants. I think he fed us a little bit of the information about it. He like had a memory about the battle and, you know, told us a little bit about it. And beyond that, I was just in my mind, it's an escort mission and his role is be accompanied from point A to point B. That, that's a good point. And, and I don't mean to call you out on all these. You just happen to be the person on this episode when all oh, yeah, this no, no, don't laid no. out on, on, on it. So No need to be defensive about that at all. I'm the okay. person you're talking to. I'm completely comfortable with it. Um, oh. But yeah, it's, it is something that none of us did. But I can only speak to myself as to why, which is why I gave that long rambling backstory about quarterbacking. It was a way to explain that for me, that was the reason that it didn't occur to me to do it. And it didn't. It flat out never entered my head. And that's something that I should look to and work on because there's definitely opportunities with NPCs that I think a lot of players fail to see, much like we did in this session. Uh, that you know, NPCs are there for a reason. They are not just there for a sounding wall or to catch arrows in the knee sometimes and sometimes that is all that they're there for but a lot of times you're right they're there for you know to, to poke you down a certain path or to give you a side quest or something like that so you know this is why i i'm being very ultra nitpicky examining of it of everything um but but I'm, I'm trying to give the episode its proper review, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? If you thought of it, there are going to be audience members who thought of it and wonder about it. And I'm happy to have the opportunity to answer that question uh, or really any question. Yeah, yeah. And, and if people do have questions, uh, you can tweet us at uh, NSFWOOC. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely get questions answered. Uh, so uh do do that and uh let's see what el what else do we have to talk about from this episode is there anything else that you thought was interesting on this episode so that's kind of one of the problem with the traveling episodes is some of it kind of blends together you know we had a couple of nights uh over the course of a couple sessions where you know, we were camping out we had some battles in the middle of the nights we had the encounter with the revenant but a lot of it is mostly walking, or in our case, writing. Um, I think that the fact that I can clearly remember at this point, and as you mentioned, uh, we as the playgroup are a few weeks ahead of the podcasts actually coming out. Uh, the fact that I can still clearly remember the feeling invoked by the ride and the midnight encounters in the you know, daylight encounters, 
the arriving in Glau and, you know, just kind of the flavor of all of that. I can remember that better than I can remember some TV shows I've seen recently. And I think that that says a lot both to the nature of our particular game and Joe's DMing style and just to the nature of tabletop RPGs in general. Yeah, they have a way of just pulling you in and engrossing you to the point where when you ask a question like, was there anything specific that, you know, called out to you about the episode? And my first thought is just all of it. It was awesome. Well, you know, there's there certain things that that are definitely uh, got me kind of on the hook. Um, Orion and his, uh, I, I know it's not real, but but like the whole entire idea of this wall of uh, this, um, not wall, but uh, not wall of, but like crime wall of, you know, clues and stuff like that, that he was that you guys were joking around about. But to try <laughs> and solve the mystery. Uh, I, I love mysteries, you know, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Lotus and her her entire mysteries his. backstory, uh, his, sorry, uh, his entire mysteries backstory uh, that we've gotten some good details on recently uh, and and where all that's going to go. So, so there's definitely some gems getting planted in over the last uh, month or two that I think are gonna, going to pan out eventually. The, the question is how long it's going to take and, and what else is going to come along the way. As you said, so many side stories get woven in along the way that it's going to be a little crazy and you know right now you guys are on the king's good side whether or not that's going to stay true whether or not things are going to keep on going well for you as uh things go on because you know tragedy is always a great thing in stories i think and uh having having things go bad i think is a great way to go i don't think we need that kind of negativity around here No, you're absolutely right. And I don't expect things to continue to go as well as they have been. But I do think that a natural kind of curve, um, this is just kind of a pet theory that I have been developing for a little while. But I think that different RPGs, different tabletop games have kind of different emotional tones to them. Uh, And you have games like Arkham Horror, which are about suspense and this kind of deep-seated mystery with a hint of madness around the edges of it. You have uh, games like Shadowrun, where, you know, the first rule of Shadowrun is if it can go wrong, it went wrong five minutes ago. Uh, You know, the, the big catchphrase that Shadowrun players like to throw around is, you know, uh what is it i can't remember the first part but it's like play safe conserve ammo and never make a deal with the dragon and it, the basic hint uh, around it and the basic concept is things are gonna go wrong as a matter of course you know the basic state is entropy and everything is headed downhill it's just what you do with your fall that makes a difference yeah i remember uh, to run. you're just always rolling with the punches exactly and the emotion, the feeling that I've always gotten from Dungeons and Dragons is more of a kind of epic fantasy. There's going to be rocky patches, but it generally trends upward because you have the illustrious hero of ignoble birth or you have the... Uh, street urchin slowly climbing their way out of the gutter. You have the princess 
who is actually an incredibly skilled warrior who, you know, rides out of the castle to lead the troops into war. And, you know, all of these stories have something in common is that, you know, people root for an underdog, people root for a hero. And I feel like D&D, you know, more than a lot of tabletop games is a game that by its nature roots for a happy ending. I think you're right there that it roots for a happy ending, but but you kind of need... You know, in order to get a happy ending, you need to have dips along the way, wouldn't you say? You oh yeah, need, no, for you sure. Need, you have dips and turns. Yeah, there's there's no victory without adversity. Mm-hmm. Right. Now that that is an absolute true statement, and I mean, I can kind of see down the line uh, some of that adversity hitting the party. I think that while you know, I as a player can say. Oh yeah, Chase's entire goal is to take down the War Makers. I don't expect that to be either easy or without heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And something that kind of popped into my head a couple sessions ago, and I haven't mentioned to Joe, but I plan on mentioning it and kind of seeing what dastardly ideas he ends up with out of it is. My entire backstory for Chase was centered around his rebelling against his father and then his father being gunned down or murdered and him now having to, you know, through this feeling of kind of perverse obligation, go and quest to avenge his father. Well, nowhere in there is Chase's mom mentioned. Ooh, you can make a whole nother backstory there. Yeah, and... It's something that I plan on bringing up to Joe because I have a couple ideas I'm not going to throw out, um, you know, no spoilers, whatever. And I also don't know what will fit in with plans he already has laid in place, what, you know, what sort of side stories that he thinks he can make out of them. Um, But it was just a thought that popped into my head. It was like, I have this big hole in my character development, and I would love to see something done with that. That would be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, you know, and uh, then especially if you can if you can figure out a way to role play it really well into everything, and and you know maybe even you know pull it into the main quest or the side quests uh, real well. So, well, I can say if Jace encounters his mother, he will do his very best not to say, "Should we just shoot her?" <laughs> uh, what if she works for the war makers oh what did i say we don't need that kind of negativity out there sir <laughs> you, you know um uh, just last uh, last two weeks ago when i talked with greg i was i was talking about you know playing just like a very happy character you know and, and now i'm i'm completely on the opposite uh, spectrum this week <laughs> Uh, so I don't know what's going on with me. Oh no, that's just that's just the nature of the human psyche. You know, we all go through, you know, kind of rises and falls, whether it be in mood or in a sense of what entertains us. I think that's what makes it so entrancing. The idea that something as simple as getting together around the table and playing D&D can evoke or appeal to any number of those emotions at any given time. And to give an example, you know, uh, kind of going way back towards the beginning of this episode, 
uh, you were talking about how I got this Murder Hobo um, of the Week award and how previously you had mentioned that Chase tended to be the voice of reason. Well, I tend to try to err on the side of reason, but I too am victim to my own moods and changes in said, you know, mindset. And sometimes you get to that point where like, oh, I'm really, you know, upbeat and everything is upbeat. And I really identify and relate with this upbeat character and everything's going to be sunshine and roses. And sometimes the world is a dark, cloud, cloudy night sky filled with rain. Spider-Man moves in wind that isn't there. Yeah, 100%. And I, I was thinking about it. The, part of the reason why I brought it all up was because I was thinking, you know, maybe he deserved his revenge. And then I'm like, you're just going to kill him when he might deserve this revenge? It's not a very noble thing to do. But, you know, there's nothing that says that you're playing a noble character either. You could, you know, be playing just true neutral and just be like, yeah, whatever I need to do, I need to do, you know? Uh, I mean, for what it's worth, I think that Chase's alignment actually is true neutral. There we go. But (laughs) um, it it is one of those things where we're developing these characters and we're going to do our best to play them to the ideal of the character we've created Mm -hmm. but at the same time we're still going to be victims to our own mindsets and you know everybody gets in bad moods or everybody gets giddy sometimes and it's just all those different kind of aspects that factor into what we are putting into the role play and i don't like right now i can tell you if i had the revenant in front of me I do not think that my first instinct would have been, ah, well, let's shoot it and move on our way. But I can also see and justify going back, well, it was an undead. I can absolutely relate to the frame of mind that I was in at the time that made that seem like the logical choice. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think, you know, if we were sitting down and playing that session tonight, I very well may have said, you know what? We can spare half a day to go investigate this battleground and see what's going on. And it's you never know what choices you're going to make the night of. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. And, you know, the nature of time is interesting in that, you know, it's all around us, but we can only move forward through it. Yeah. You uh, hinted on the epic nature of, you know, D&D storytelling. And uh, it reminded me that uh, a book, a new book in the Gentleman Bastard series is coming out. I was just curious if you read any of it, um, the first book being The Lies of Lachlamora. I have not. I tend, despite playing a predominantly fantasy game, I tend to actually stray more towards the sci-fi genre for reading. Um, But I'm curious now that you bring it up. What made you think of it? Uh, Just, I mean, I'm into high fantasy type stuff, uh, Wheel of Time. I'm currently reading through right now, trying to make it through finally. I'm on book 10. And uh, uh, I, it just reminded me that the book was coming out, book four, uh, The Thorn of Everlane is coming out. So um, uh, That's cool. Uh, but like the the this week and two weeks ago, we were talking about the tragic backstory. You know, the, the foster kid or the orphan kid, uh, Lachlamore is an orphan inside of uh, the story. And, um, you know, of course, he goes on adventures and stuff like that. He's also a very smart character. 
uh, might remind me a little bit of how you play your characters. So that, that's why I thought thought of him a little bit just now. Uh, uh, well, now I feel complimented, and I'm going to have to check out that book. It, it, um, the, the first book was the best book so far, and it's one of my favorite reads of all time. So uh, if, if you're interested, yeah. It, it's I will definitely put that on the list. Right now, though, um, Jim Butcher's uh, Peace Talks, the latest book in the Dresden Files, just came out. So that's what I've been working through. Yeah, it came out uh, a few weeks ago. I know you love the Dresden Files, and uh, I've I've been meaning to start at the very beginning and just go through them. Uh, I've I've tried a couple times to get into the series, and every time something's changed in my life that's caused me to like not actually move my way through the books and put it down again. So um, it's one of those series that's on my list for sure. It, it is an absolutely great series. Um, it's just this really well-written detective noir style, but it's got this urban fantasy element of, you know, the fact that Je uh, that uh, Harry Dresden, the main character, who is the archetypical detective in this noir story, is also a wizard and it and you know opens up this entire kind of i don't want to say underworld but this entire other world of you know yeah he's a wizard living in modern day chicago and offering his services for money and there's gangsters and fairies and vampires and werewolves and bigfoots and I just you know i think it's just a really well done and well approached amalgamation of two genres and i'm a i'm a big fan of mashups i i had uh, seen the tv show uh i think it was on sci-fi yeah and, yeah all right um it wasn't amazing but it wasn't horrible you know uh but i i think you've mentioned the books are much much better right yes the the books are infinitely better i think one of the big issues was uh to do with how they approached converting books into a TV series was just flawed from the start because they had the, you know, like to take, for example, the first episode is the entire first book that they crammed down into like 30 or 40 minutes. And I feel like that's just a, sorry. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I feel like that's just a bad way to approach something like converting written material into a video format um and when you're turning something into a tv series yeah you're gonna have large structures of period where a scene that might take three pages to write out in the book turns out to only give you a minute of screen time but there's also other things that you can do to build the world from a visual perspective and to fill space to get you to the length of screen time you need. And I think that what they did trying to reduce things down, it's been years since I've watched the series, but I feel like they just cut too much of the actual nature of the series out of it. And they turned it into... Honestly, it could have been just any other TV show, like take the magic out and it was any other cop procedural. Um, but the books themselves are extremely well done, well written. I'm actually sandbagging my time reading Peace Talks because uh, I'm not, I don't want to have to wait for the next book to come out. So maybe I'll pick up, um, you said it was The Gentleman Bastard? Uh, that's the name of the series, is The Gentleman Bastard yeah. series. I'll send you a message with, with the name of the first book or a awesome. link. Or uh, you know, we communicate well enough. 
but you know, and that's the thing is with a, a lot of these, because I agree with you, the the nature of the Dresden Files TV series uh, that definitely, you know, it felt kind of like a procedural cop series and that the magic was almost like a side portion of it. Um, that, you know, there was some cuteness there. There was some decent enough acting here and there and some good comic relief. But, uh, but yeah, it, it didn't feel like the essence of what what I would have expected from a great series. And there's a lot of, uh, of these uh, sci-fi fantasy series that are now getting turned into um, shows or movies. You know, of course, Game of Thrones was the big one uh, that everybody yeah. loved. And we had the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movie. And, and the Shadow Chronicles on TV. Which was horrible. Uh, which is, I, I thought it was okay. Like oh. there was definitely huge departures away, and it was. It felt like you remember those early '90s um, CW or at the time WB TV shows like Hercules and Xena. Yeah, yeah. It felt it had that kind of feel to it, and the thing is, like, I, I liked those series. I thought that they were corny and campy, but they entertained me, and that's what Shannara Chronicles felt like to me. I liked those series. Because they were quirky and campy, I did not feel like the Shannara Chronicles had that amount of quirkiness and campiness in it. I felt like they tried to make a, a serious series and felt flat. Um, that's fair. And that's that was one of my biggest problems with it. Uh, so, like, also they're making uh, the King Killer Chronicles series is coming out, I think, on showtime or amazon i can't remember which one i think it's um, amazon and i believe that lin-manuel miranda is attached to it so i'm excited there I cautiously am, excited but i'm excited i'm i'm cautiously excited as well because that is also one of my favorite book series uh that yeah, yeah you're the one who introduced me to it oh okay well uh between that and the lock of uh between name of the wind which is the first book in that series and the lives of lock lamora those are my two favorite books right now so uh yeah yeah so i'll definitely give that one a try um not to completely train wreck this but we have anything else uh related to the episode to go over any questions theories conundrums critiques i don't think so i i, I think we're pretty much done for the night <laughs> yeah i understand it so the the episode itself like a lot happened chronologically and so it's definitely you know, important and worthy of its own episode. But there's definitely, you know, times where there are more decision points in an episode to break down and discuss and say, you know, well, you specifically said you weren't going to blow up the sewers and then you packed an explosive in the thing's head and blew it up. And I was just curious as to why, you know, things like that. So, but that's fair. Um, I know, uh, right. again, no spoilers, but the next couple episodes, uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about. Well, oh, that that's going to be fun, and I'm I'm for for Joe's sake, I'm going to try to get be more prepared. I've I've just been really busy and really tired lately, so uh, we will we will do a much better job, hopefully. All right, um, we want to go ahead and record an outro for him. Uh, what am I supposed to say at the end here? Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us tonight. And uh, make sure to tweet us at hashtag NSFWOOC with your comments or questions. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Mark, as well. Yeah, no problem. <laughs>
Hey, thanks for listening to Out of Character. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you listen to. And if you'd like to be part of the show and ask a question, uh, you can do so on Twitter uh, using the hashtag NSFWOOC. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later.